Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up... Yannick Sinner takes the Rotterdam crown. Iga Sviontek three-peats the Doha title. And Tennis Weekly reports from the Golden Swing. Kim, Chris, today is the 19th of February and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Well, we're not really catching up because tennis is still going on from last week due to the shocking weather yesterday in Delray Beach. We're having a Monday final there, so we can't really look back on all the tennis, but I am hoping by the time we talk about Delray Beach, maybe Taylor Fritz has won the title. So is he is he winning? Or are you just supporting he's a him? Set, I think he's a set set and three all. So I'm okay. I'm hoping for the sake of the podcast and kind of absoluteness. We do um, want to be able to catch up on last win. week, even yes. though last week is still happening right now. <laughs> I do feel sorry for the ticket holders from yesterday though, because they didn't get a refund, even though the the match was, you know, obviously rained off, uh, terrible weather out there. And they've had to reschedule it for today. Um, so, yeah, if anyone's listening who was at the final... Um, well, no, did I'm you get to go? They get a good match, though, seeing all, of all the sort of hassle of you know, not being able to do it yesterday. I would be remote working on Monday, I think, to uh, to get down to that match. Because it's a pretty, pretty tasty final, I think. Well, would you be wearing a big hat to cover yourself just yes, in case someone yes. saw that you, you weren't face, face mask as well. And, yeah, Sunny's uh, on. Maybe strategically look at where the TV cameras are and sit behind them, perhaps. So you I hope your boss court. isn't listening to this, Joel, yeah. I have to say. They might think, oh, are you going to use those tactics uh, well, now they in a British yes, tournament Yes, somewhere? Kim, I'm going to fly over from London <laughs> to Delray Beach. And hope it's a hypothetical. <laughs> well, talking of Delray Beach and... Um, you know, disguising yourself. There was a lady on the court uh, sit- sitting down who did look like she was trying to cover her face. There was a photo doing the rounds. She looks a bit like she's got a lampshade on her head. She should be at work. <laughs> maybe that's maybe, what it was all that, about. <laughs> maybe that is. Yeah, but to me, she, she looks like, it's like, like Daft Punk, like tight. Yes. Um, what was she doing there, Josh? Well, it, it was quite interesting. I mean, Delray Beach, they, you know, they have cars on the tennis court, which I'm, I'm not a fan of because... I think BMW is one of their sponsors. But on the other side, in the other corner, they've got some lounge chairs on the tennis court. And these are basically your kind of VIP hospitality seating, literally on the tennis court at court level. I don't know about you guys. I just, when I saw this, I was like, yeah, I was just like, I'd just be worried if I'm going to get hit in the face with a racket. Yeah, it's a bit like a chally kind of level where you normally just get a you know a fold-up seat and Bring sit inside yeah. but you sort of do that at your peril of getting hit in the face by a big serve that booms you know wide um so i'm That's not sure strange. it's vip in my book well i've got a question for you because this did go um do the rounds on twitter if you were in the bmw would you sit on the passenger side or the driver's side because someone's gonna have to sit further away from the court so if you got a pair of tickets, you'd say, right, sorry, I'm taking the good side. Um, and I think, I mean, I probably would take the good seat myself. I would sit in the passenger side because there wouldn't be a wheel in the way. So would That's you actually not true. Yeah, you can have a picnic. <laughs> you've got a cup holder. Get it, is, it is very confusing because, yeah, they had, um, you, you could, as fans, you could have had the lounge chair seats or it does look like you, you could have had the BMW seat as well. I think you'd boot. go. I think you'd go for the BMW seat over comfort over a lounge chair. Maybe. It, uh, are we massively overthinking this? Seeing as none of us are in Delray Beach uh, and probably yeah. won't be faced with this scenario. Um, we were all did at work. I would go for the BMW. <laughs> I would go for the BMW if I was allowed to have aircon on. I think. Oh, that's in, a in really the, good shout. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Well, um, I'm going to maybe just view it from from home, from the telly, uh, instead of going <laughs> to Delray Beach. And talking of telly, actually, there's been quite a lot of tennis-related things coming out on, on the telly of late. And we've had some new news uh, recently that Amazon Prime are going to be doing a documentary on Roger Federer and his final 12 days uh, as a professional tennis player. Uh, We don't have a title for the documentary or or too much information. Other than that, it is going to be directed by um, Asif Kapadia, who did the Senna documentary, the Amy Winehouse documentary, which are both, uh, you know, very good. I've seen both and, you know, I think they're very highly rated. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting, I think, because it's actually a home video that was created that was never designed for, you know... mass consumption viewing on amazon prime and um yeah it's obviously got interviews with uh rafa and the like and i think that'll be quite an interesting watch so i don't we don't know more about it as of yet but one will to it, watch will it cover it that hubert her catch that's match. what i was thinking the, i don't want to see the bagel yes. which retirement labor cup mm. or are we talking his professional career ah, on yeah. the court at wimbledon Ooh. Maybe both. I mean, I'd love to see the hand-holding with Rafa again. I know. I it was very car. quick, though, really, wasn't it? But um, I, I just think it would be fascinating. You can already see the way it's sort of being set out as this, like, tennis great struggling, you know, for form and coming to terms with the fact he won't be playing. So I think, I mean, I've seen a couple of his documentaries before and I thought they were brilliant. And the fact mm. that this wasn't shot with an agenda also makes me think that this could be really compelling. A bit more behind the scenes, like very candid. Uh, I think that's kind of the selling point of it. And maybe they'll they'll go on uh, and look at the... Uh, I still find it quite random at the Labour Cup when Ellie Goulding came out and did a song on court mm. for Federer's like, final, you know, hurrah. And it was just, yeah, quite strange. Anyway, um, Chris, what have you been up to in the past week? What's been floating your boat? Well, I haven't been kind of pursuing the arts at all or kind of really looking at anything that's been happening on court. I've been focusing on a topic we've talked about previously, most recently in Madrid, which is around birthday cakes of players. Um, so we're, we're, we're back there again. Sorry, listeners. Um, but Alex de Menard had his birthday um, and he looked very happy to have his birthday. I think he went out for some celebrations with Katie Balter and his family. But then there is this picture that's doing the rounds on um, Twitter and it's the mascot of the um, Rotterdam Open presenting him with this cake. And I've got to be honest, this cake is a wild ride. It, I mean, it's like how if would I you made a cake. It? I think yeah, it it's like is. if 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 we're being honest. And also, the mascot is giving me complete nightmares. Just 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 being there. The mascot's very jolly. It's like a happy face emoji. And I think he's actually really sweet, the mascot. It's good tennis um, Kim, head. Would you would you have a smiling face if you were delivering that as the birthday cake? I mean, it just looks like a mess. At least you can't mess. see the embarrassment on his May- face. Maybe it could be on the Mars Singer. It's the next yes. it's a character for next year. <laughs> Billy Jean King, she's already done it. Um, so the ABN AMRO Open Mars uh, Singer contestant. Is that a Ooh, clue? Oh, yeah. could there be, be a, a Dutch Yannick Sinner's Dutch in there? Sinner. Uh, a Dutch singer. <laughs> Dutch singer. <laughs> Masked dancer episode of mascots on the ATP and WTA tours. Got Pitch it now. If yes, anyone's listening. Why not? But going back to the cake itself, I don't think it would do well on the Great Bake British off, Bake Off. No. They've just sort of shoved a load of like M&Ms on the top in a bit of a pile. And it's also, and... there's a picture of the mascot on the cake. And th- I've never given a cake with my face on to someone else, which I think is a bit off, to be honest. Oh, I, I think the mascot's quite sweet. Um, it's a nice idea. An emoji tennis ball head. And yeah, we'll, we'll see him on the Bar Singer next year, maybe. But <laughs> um, I have to say, it doesn't compare to the, the cakes that Roland Garros uh, used to do for Rafa's birthday with like the massive candles that would kind of set fire to the whole venue if it went a bit wrong. Almost like fireworks. Um, they, they really went to town with those cakes. So maybe the Rotterdam need to um, take a, a leaf out of their book of cake making. Uh, but let's get on to the action on court, uh, cake aside. Uh, what, let's start in Qatar. We had the Doha uh, WTA 1000 event. And Iga Sriontek has very comfortably come through this one without dropping a set. She's a... Uh, Claimed this one yet again. She's got such a good record at this tournament. Uh, 7-6, 6-2 victory over Elena Rabakina in the final to clinch her, um, well, another WTA 1000 event. Uh, Joel, Svantec as the champion, not a massive surprise in Doha this week, fair to say. She seems to love playing on this tennis court. And in the final, yes, I think the 
the start wasn't particularly great for her. I think she went 4-1 down against Rabakina. I don't think she was playing well with the the conditions because they were very windy at, at times. But as soon as she kind of adapted her game and, you know, really kind of focused on a new approach, you know, she she spoke to her team as well midway through that first set. And uh, it just sort of, I think, corrected her. And although I think she came on the court maybe a little bit too chaotic, a little bit kind of nervous and wasn't executing the way that she would have wanted to, by the end of the match, it really was a lot better, a lot more flawless. And Rabakina, who's been one of the form players of the, the tour this season, probably her Sabalenka and Shiontek have shown some of the best tennis. She didn't really have an answer in that second set. Yeah, and I mean, Shiontek's won this title three times now. Um, twice, I think she's done it without dropping a set. So, you know, I, I did feel that once she got over that that first set in the final that it was kind of one-way traffic, you know, potentially. Um, there was a bit of a weird moment, though, uh, with Rebecca in that, that first set. She she whacked herself on the shin, um, had to kind of go off and get treatment. Do you think that was a, a pivotal moment? Because that's kind of when it started to, to turn. She was a double breakup at the time, so it does make you think that the momentum did shift because she did have to stop play to receive treatment, so that momentum was stopped. Um, also, it did allow kind of eager to go and have a chat with her coaches, a um, little bit of a reset. I think especially if the match is getting away from you that early on and your game plan isn't working quite so well, it does allow you to almost have a chat and figure out what you can try and do a bit differently to upset the rhythm. Um, in terms of the injury, I mean, hitting your shin is pretty unpleasant. It didn't seem to make too much of a difference in terms of her movement. But again, it's very uncomfortable. It can knock you off. It's not something you're expecting. I mean, there was a lot of blood. It did bleed quite a lot. So it's not not the fun, not a fun thing to deal with. But in terms of where I think the match really did kind of shift, uh, it's again, it's this, we keep talking about it, but it's that first serve percentage of Rebecca where it's just around 50%. And it just doesn't work if you're not serving higher percentages than that because her big weapon is her serve. It's first strike tennis. Um, and she wasn't able to do that enough in that second set because she wasn't making enough first serves. And that second serve was being eaten up by Igor Sriontek with Rebecca only winning 38% of points behind it. So it seemed like that first set would have decided the match most likely. But if Rebecca had served a bit better, you'd have to think that first set probably would have been hers. I mean, it really should have been, I think. she had. I think she had one set point, but it was there for the taking given the start that she had. And she beat Shiontek three times last year. So she won all of their sort of head-to-heads last season. So, you, you know, you've got to think what's different this time around, the, probably the serve. Um, and also Shiontek on this court, we know that she, she clearly loves um, playing on this court. She's had, you know, such good results in the past. So it's a final as well, I think, because her three matches last year uh, against Rabakina were not in, in finals. And actually, this was the first in their rivalry that has been in the final, not counting any of their junior matchups. So I think that might have something to do with it because Shiontek, she, she's, such, she's got such an elite mindset, particularly in the the big matches, WTA 1000 in a final. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just too much in the end for, for Rabakina. Yeah, and just a note, Rabakina's shin, it wasn't deliberate. It was an accidental kind of hit uh, on the follow through she didn't yeah on she the didn't do it out of anger or anything yeah it wasn't a sort of no one usually who whacked himself on the head and bled once um yeah i mean also the semi-finalists we had a uh, carolina pliskova she's she got to the semis but withdrew um but she's continued her good run of form because obviously she she won a title uh the week before and then on the other side kind of on a different vein, Pavlichenkova reaching the, the semis kind of out of the blue from, from that section of the draw. Um, but we know what she's capable of when she does put her game together. Um, and Osaka also getting to the quarters here. So, you know, we're seeing her maybe making a bit more inroads than we've seen previously, um, you know, in the last kind of month or so. I mean, just on that, Kim, do you think with Naomi Osaka, the fact that she has made a quarterfinal at a WTA 1000 event, are you now back on the kind of keep doing you these high events and not necessarily kind of dropping down and playing more kind of 250 level given the success she's had? I think Kim said to Doha. wait. I thought you said drop down to well, a 125. Just... <laughs> yeah, he's trying think... to prove his, his, that yeah. he's right. Um, well, I think if you look at the wins she had, she beat Garcia, she beat Petra Martic, she beat, uh, well, she, well, she didn't play Serenko. Serenko, Serenko actually withdrew so she she won two matches and then came up against Pliskova and lost in two tight sets so I think you know, obviously that's the second time they've they've played this year um 
but I th- yeah no I think she should continue for a bit longer and if she's if she really you know wants to be at the latter stages obviously she does but it's just taking a bit of extra time to get there then I see no harm in perhaps yeah dropping dropping down a notch but I think you know it, it is still early days and I think she's you know this is the deepest she's gone so far and um, I'm sure with time results will come um, she's too good a player for them for them not to and perhaps she'll do it at you know the most surprising event of all. I think I randomly predicted her to win the Olympics uh, in the summer, so we'll, we'll see about clay, that. Again, just on clay again. <laughs> we repeat on clay. It's all part of a very grand, uh, larger plan. <laughs> She's peaking, yeah, on on the clay courts. Absolutely. Um, so Iga Swiatek wrapping up another title in Doha. Um, let's have a look at what happened in Rotterdam. Apart from Alex Menor having his birthday cake, we did have Yannick Sinner winning the title. So. Another top seed winning. Uh, this, again, was fairly comfortable for Yannick Sinner for most of the week. Uh, he came up against the birthday boy in the final, but came, came through 7-5, 6-4 over de Menor. So Sinner is still unbeaten this season. Uh, after winning the Australian Open, he has come into his you know first tournament back and won, um, which he actually becomes the first man since Leighton Hewitt to have won his debut event as a new Grand Slam champion. Chris, how impressed were you with Yannick Sinner this week in Rotterdam? I think you always have questions after someone's won a slam, if they can back it up, especially um, with Carlos Alcaraz um, and the way that we did, kind of, we made jokes about this as well, that you know all the different tweets you see about we're entering the Sinner era, the Alcaraz era, all of that that came out last year. and then after Form in the bin era. I mean, exactly. Like it, It's hard to do. It's hard to back it up. And we've seen that from lots of players where they can reach a kind of a, a good level again, but it doesn't necessarily just keep going at that same trajectory. So I was very, very impressed with the way that he handled everything because, I mean, he played some pretty tough opponents in every round. And apart from the Rayonich kind of withdrawal, um, it's a pretty decent level of, of opponent, um, especially on indoor surfaces. Um, it can be a bit of a leveler if someone's got a very good serve. So he did come through pretty comfortably. And I saw Dimonar play at UTS the previous week. And I thought he was playing some brilliant tennis and moving fantastically. Um, and so I think that match is probably the one that you should take note of in terms of where his form level is at. Because obviously Dimonar did take out um, Dimitrov and Rublev on, and Felix. I oh, know not Felix, didn't take out Felix. I'm making that up to David Goffin. But he had a very... Um, very good run so I think he's playing very well and I think it's good to see because we don't want him to kind of fall off the wagon at all at this point yeah and Alex Benor you know stayed in both of those sets you know he he earned a break back in in both of those sets but Sinner just then you know able to to kind of get the job done and, and take that break back and um and get the get the win that Felix um, match though we have to talk about it did you see Rublev versus Felix Oja-Aliassim three match points in a row for Felix and he still didn't get it <sighs> It's He's so having hard. a tough Ugh. year, isn't he? Well, it's tough hard. last 12 months, really. It's hard to watch. Joel, what do, what do you think in terms of one, two, fives? Do they exist for? Oh, <laughs> yeah, think... Felix should drop down, yeah. not Azarka. I mean, for Felix, I just don't think he's had that winning feeling for so long. And it makes getting over the finish line that much more difficult. And particularly when you come up against someone as combative as Andre Rublev, um, it, it just feels like... Hard to put away, right? Yeah, a tough Doesn't proposition made even tougher. And uh, it was, yeah, a bit disappointing. But um, yeah, I'd just say on Alex de Menor, I think he's he's really, really grown. I love the aggression he's brought to his game this season. Um, I think before we just kind of spoke about him in terms of his coverage and that being the thing that sort of marked him out from all the other kind of players on the tour. But I think this season we've seen he's added more to his game in terms of his kind of weight of shot as well, I think it's it's a lot more, it's a bit stronger. But having said that, against Yannick Sinner, it was just like, regardless of what he threw at him, Yannick Sinner was, it was just inevitably going to come out on top. Even though it was fine margins, it still felt comfortable for Sinner. Yeah, we also had Grigor Dimitrov getting into the semis. So again, his run, good runner form, his good season is, is continuing. And home favourite Talon Griegspor, um was our other semi-finalist. He um, came through over Hubert Hercash. Hubert Hercash, yet more tie breaks. Every time I look at him on a score sheet, it's just tie break after tie break. I think he played five of six of his sets for tie breaks. <laughs> I mean, he is like the new... I don't want to say he's the new John Isner, but Eva he's a very predictable score line 
of his sets, isn't there? It's just, you know, kind of crazy. But um, but Yannick Sinner, going back to him, he is now uh, up to number three in the rankings. Um, no Italian uh, male player has, has ever been as high as that. So um, that is fantastic. Uh, well done, Sinner. I'm sure the Karata boys are very, very happy. I mean, Chris, you spoke about how Alcaraz is not having great form at the moment since, you know, since winning that Grand Slam at Wimbledon. Do you think it's a matter of time before Yannick Sinner replaces Carlos Alcaraz at number two? I think there's a lot of points to defend coming up. Um, and obviously we'll talk about it a bit later, but the Argentina Open points have obviously dropped off as well. He's got a final to back up in Rio. So I do think that Yannick Sinner is kind of cementing himself as kind of the biggest rival to Novak Djokovic. Um, especially with that standout performance. Because if you look at it, you know, he, he's won the next tournament he's played after the Australian Open. And Alcaraz is still searching for a title since then. Um, in fact, I'm not, I can't even recall if he's made many finals recently at all either. I, I can't actually, I can't name one. Um, so I think it's clear that Sinner is definitely the form player. But then I do think you have to think with Carlos Alcaraz, we did not think him coming back last season, having had the time off, that he would win his first title and then go on and win Wimbledon, um, especially after that semi-final run where he kind of, the nerves got to him. Um, he was very much kind of in a, in a state where his body just stopped working for him. No one would have predicted necessarily that he'd win that Wimbledon title. So he is someone who does prove people wrong um, because he does have that sort of unbelievable talent and experience level for someone of his age. So... I think hopefully he's going to put it back together. But at the same time, Yannick Sinner, you'd have to say, he is the number two right now, if not the number one. Well, yeah, we've seen more of him, haven't we, than, than Djokovic of late. But I mean, we'll talk, I mean, Alcaraz is too good a player not not to kind of come come back strong. But he didn't have the best week, did he, in Buenos Aires? He didn't get the win, uh, which we were maybe expecting. He he did lose in the semifinals, which we'll get onto in just a second. Let's talk about the actual winner, though, because we had a uh, home wildcard, Facundo Diaz Acosta, winning uh, 6-3, 6-4 over Nicholas Jarry in the final. Uh, so again, another kind of surprise champion out on the golden swing. Uh, Diaz Acosta, a player that not many people will know, will have will have heard of. This, this is his first ATP title. Um previously you know very um inexperienced i think really um on, on the court and not really um too much to go on other than the fact that he did play a very good match against taylor fritz at the australian open so perhaps that was a, a hallmark of the form we would see um out at uh at the golden swing um what just quickly before we we, we do have alina you know to report back on her her week behind the scenes uh, but but Chris, what do you think of of Diaz Acosta and winning this this tournament? We've we've seen another you know surprise kind of winner again. I think a lot of the Italians didn't bring. Um, I say Italians. What am I saying? The Argentinians. Italians, yeah. <laughs> I just was thinking of last week when Italian won. He used to be Argentinian, but um, no. In terms of Argentinians, they do tend to not necessarily play their best at home, and so this is a case where not necessarily the Italian we all thought would come through did end up coming through. Um, and I mean, he did show that he was the Italian to beat. He had very comfortable wins over Serendulo and Correa on his way to the title. So he made the most of the opportunity. So I think that's the way I'd summarize it. You don't have to have much experience at this level. And sometimes it helps because it means that you don't have those nerves. And we saw that last week in the quarter final where it's very hard when you haven't had those opportunities um, and you're at the end of your career potentially to actually get the win on the tour that you've always wanted. So... He did, he did get over the line. I think for Jarry, it probably was a case where these opportunities, having beaten Carlos Alcaraz, don't come as frequently and he was able to play more freely. But I do think at 59 in the world, having only won, I think, nine matches on the ATP Tour now, um, it, it feels a little, bit, um, a little bit weighted wrong in that sense. But at the same time, he made the most of his moment. Let's hear now from our producer, Alina, who was out in Buenos Aires this week, bringing us all the behind the scenes action from the event. Uh, Chris caught up with Alina to hear about her experience this week. And hello, Alina in Argentina. You'll be pleased to know I've been practicing. I'm saying buenas tardes to you in Buenos Aires. Just listen to that, Chris. You actually got it right. Congrats. It sounds like you're so ready for the final day. The Spanish is right. The vibe is right. Everything is going right. And things that are also going right, you found the perfect position. You're in the right spot there. You're in a lovely commentary box, I think. I'm having 
probably the best beer in the house right now. Just waiting for the doubles finals to start here. And has it been that sort of treatment all week? Has it been VIP treatment at the IEB Argentina Open? To be honest, the treatment has been like this all week. Many thanks to the Tenium team. They've been so awesome and took us backstage. We got to actually see what's happening and see the players' lounge and bumped into some players as well that were quite in their element. Were they expecting you, Alina? They were not expecting me or the press members to to be right up, up there. in the locker room <laughs> exactly while they yeah. were taking their clay shoes off they were just Goodness. like what are you doing here <laughs> did you ask them any questions take the opportunity no i just i i, I just waved to jari and that felt <laughs> like very intrusive i was like hi sorry sorry to bother you it is um, a rare opportunity. You get very close to the players and players in very different sort of settings. So last time we were talking DJ sets with Dusan Leovic and has Carlos Alcaraz made an appearance on the decks so far this week? Surprisingly not. We didn't see uh, Charlie, as they call him uh, here, to, to our surprise. Charlie? I was like, who's Charlie? And it took me a second to figure out that that is his actually South American nickname. So we haven't seen DJ Charlie the entire week. Charlie Alcaraz, that doesn't sound right, does it? Vamos Charlie. I feel, I feel like it feels like maybe we're in, um, I don't know, we're in the it's UK, exotic. you know, Charlie. But unfortunately for Charlie, he did get eliminated last night, which was not in the script. It was not what anyone predicted. He was the number one seed. He was the defending champion, the tournament headliner. And Alcaraz was knocked out in straight sets by Nicholas Jarry. You were courtside for that match. What happened? It was so unexpected. It seemed like it took him a while to actually understand that things are not going his way and they're not going to go his way. And from um, a match perspective, it did feel like he wasn't necessarily taking the chances like he normally did. He didn't convert as you would expect. He was playing very defensively. And I had to say, kind of from you being courtside, was it that Jarry just had a fantastic game plan that got him through that match? Or was Alcaraz maybe not playing his best? We spoke with Jari in press before, and he did mention that it's super important for him to be very focused in the match. He showed up with, with a strategy, and he executed on it flawlessly. He took his chance, and there was a rare kind of show of frustration from Carlos Alcaraz. What, what happened there? Yeah, it was right about the time where he figured that things are not going his well, that the signs of frustration started to show, and... For me, it was like really rare to see that kind of frustration from Carlos just throwing the racket off the court towards his box. It was really strange sight for him because the smiles were gone and we could see that he's, he's really getting super frustrated. Was that aimed at coach Juan Carlos Ferrero, do you think? Do you think there's trouble in paradise in that partnership? Oh, gee, I hope not. I think he was just up in his head and threw it in, in the direction he could have the most space to. But yeah, it was quite a throw. It was really hard to watch, honestly. And I think a lot of people thought that maybe this wouldn't be as competitive as it was. You know, he was playing against Anetcheveri on one leg and stumbled through that one. Were you surprised by this result in the end? Honestly, everybody was. Uh, by the end of the match, the crowd was still standing, almost like waiting for the third set to happen. <laughs> it was really surprising because nobody expected Jari to, to show so well, especially after the match with Tommy Echeveri. But on the Argentinian subject, we did have an all-Argentinian semi-final and we have an Argentinian in the final. Yeah, I mean, this is the Argentinian slam, as I call it. We had eight Argentinians in the draw and we have one Argentinian in the final. We have uh, Facundo Diaz Acosta. He's, I think, quite a talent and I will keep an eye on him going forward. Okay, he's a name for us to remember. For those of our listeners who haven't heard of him, he's 23. He has a career high ranking of 87. Mostly he's been playing on the challenger circuit. Some of our listeners may be familiar with him because he did push Taylor Fritz to five sets at the Australian Open. And Alina, something that we do every time we're on tour, we do peak pit pleasant surprise. And so that's the best bit, the worst bit, and something that surprised you that you actually rather enjoyed. But shall we start with your peak? Gabriela Sabatini was here, the queen herself. The queen of Argentina. Yes, and actually that's how that's how they call her here, La Reina. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, it's the queen of tennis. And they were like, yeah, La Reina está aquí. <laughs> <laughs> so 
yeah, she looks incredible. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she like just picked up a racket and like jump on the court and show the guy some moves. She is in such tremendous form and she looks absolutely gorgeous. Clearly, um, she's still got it. She's got it, hundred percent. And then we have a pleasant your surprise. pleasant surprise. Yeah. Oh, no, we have the pit. We never want to finish on a pit. Okay, let's go with a pit. Oh, that was a that's a tough one because everything around here has been incredible. But I believe that I wished Cam Norrie had more words for me <laughs> when, I, okay. when I asked him uh, a question. As he had less words for me than sets he played. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So it was a, <laughs> it was a less than three word answer. Yeah. So that's not exactly a, a generous answer in the press room. Can I push you? What, what did you ask him? Well, ask him about his tremendous form he had in Melbourne and whether he's looking to bringing that into the clay season and we definitely like missed that in in the match he had and i wanted to know more quite punchy hello yeah Yeah, hello i was there for where was your good play (laughs) yeah yeah he was not super excited but to be fair he was not super excited overall he was really upset about his his match and the way he played and even the set he won he was not happy about it so overall yeah you maybe caught him in a bad time, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there and then bring us home, Alina, with your pleasant surprise. Oh, the pleasant surprise. How can we forget the train, Chris? The train? The train! Tell our listeners, this is, you have to see it to believe. We'll post it on our social channels, but it really is extraordinary. So, on the short side of the court, there's, I think it's like an intercity train that passes every 30 minutes. But what I noticed that it tends to pass on a player service all the time and while it passes it also honks at the crowd <laughs> so it becomes this whole thing and it's literally on the top of the court yeah it's... can you feel it shaking when it comes past you don't feel it shaking because i'm i'm always seated on the opposite side but you definitely hear it and it makes noise and it's just like there you you cannot miss it you do have to check this out because it's a tennis court like no other, but maybe one of the best views possible on a train could be going through that on your way through Argentina. Imagine passing, being in that train, passing uh, on a night session. I think that the view must be... Like, is, that, is that Carlos? Yeah. Is that Charlie? Is that Charlie? <laughs> Charlie's there. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for that. Very well done on the three Ps. And the golden swing continues. You will not be following it, but you have been following it very, very closely. You've seen all of the tennis on display. Who have you got your eye on for the rest of the golden swing? Oh, you know, you got me there. Uh, you know, my eyes. I know, I know where this is going. <laughs> you know that I have my eyes on Thiago Montero. Um, he is a Brazilian player. He is entering Rio. I think he got a wild card. Is that correct? He is. And in the first round, who is he playing? He's playing none other than Charlie Alcaraz. So who's going to win that match? Oh, that will be, uh, be a tough call. Three hmm, sets? Let's hope for a three sets. Are you booking a flight? I would. I would go straight to Rio to see, to see that encounter. And Alina, it's time that we would say adios and hasta luego to Buenos Aires. It's been wonderful following your updates from Argentina. And we really hope you enjoy the final. Thank you so much, Chris. I will see you guys soon at probably a clay tennis tournament in a warm country somewhere. <laughs> and I will leave you with Chris. Joel and Kim for the latest updates from the tour. Just on Alcaraz, what do we think is going wrong there? Because, I mean, Nicholas Jarry, that match, that semi-final, he should not be losing that, really. No, he shouldn't. I really don't think he should be. And it's it's quite frustrating because it just feels like he's getting he's getting it wrong at the key moments. And sometimes it comes very naturally to people. But, I mean, he's been losing to some... Pretty good players, but players that he wasn't losing to this time last year. He's lost his invincibility, it feels like. I think a lot of players would see him in the draw. And if you're going to get a top four seed, I think you'd rather play Carlos Alcaraz right now Mm. than a Medvedev or a Sinner or a Djokovic. So I think in that match, it's too many unforced errors. It's not taking your chances in terms of break points. He didn't take all the chances he could have. And I think it's allowing players to hit him off the court. Um, yeah. And even someone like Medvedev at the US Open, who doesn't traditionally hit people off the court and stands very far back, was still able to hit Alcaraz off the court there. So, Do you think he's having that problem um, at the moment? Because Jarry, he has that power and that ability, and he, he did bring it all together, I think, in that semi-final. And Alcaraz, it doesn't feel like at the moment he has really a game plan for someone who 
is a big hitter from the back of the court. What does he do about it? Because he sort of goes into his shell a little bit. And yeah, he might hit one or two eye-catching winners. But at the end of the day, the result is a loss for him. And I think you know, it's not just this Jarry result. I think there's been a, a few other defeats he's had where he's been a similar situation of that that power and sort of being a little bit powerless to do anything about it. He's not starting on the front foot and taking control of the match and playing on his terms. And I think that makes it very difficult for you to come through and to come through easily. It does remind me a little bit of when he won that US Open where all of his matches went to five sets because his serve wasn't quite doing as well. And maybe it's a case, I mean, in this match, his serve wasn't getting the job done in the same way. So if he doesn't have that sort of really big weapon, as you say, he kind of relies on some of that shot making. And that's hard to do every single point in every single game that you play. So I think it's, it's a question that I was going to put to you and maybe I'll put to Kim. He's had a fantastic run with Juan Carlos Ferreira. We did talk about the fact there was that racket throw. Mm. Do you think that maybe there should be some new blood introduced into the training camp, some new differing opinions there? I'm not saying sack your coach, but I am saying it's not been the trajectory you'd have expected from what was expected to be the start of a fantastic run for him. I think it'd be a bit rash to yeah remove Ferrari from the setup. They have a very very strong relationship, you know, bit bit father and son like. And I think bringing someone else in it to consult would be useful. That would probably be the way to go for now. And if that also you know didn't help, then maybe you'd look. Well, Tom Tom Hill's free, further, isn't he? Further back, Tom Hill is free. He's um, no longer with Zachary. That that broke in the last week. Uh, I mean, Tony Nadal could perhaps consult just throwing that out there um but yeah yeah I, I would like to see them stay together I, I really like their their kind of coaching dynamic but you know at some point if, if it doesn't carry on working then he might have to accept that yeah Ferrero got me so far now it's time to kind of spread my wings um so that could be a route to go down um before we go for a break let's just quickly touch upon the Delray Beach Open uh, the final has now finished. Taylor Fritz has won 6-2, 6-3 over Tommy Paul. So Battle of the Americans has come out with Fritz coming through top seed. Was there anyone seven. in the BMW, though, watching courtside? They actually well... drove off. They were supporting Tommy Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. They took the uh, the lady with the, the funny sort of lampshade with them. But, um, yeah, Taylor Fritz is the champion. Uh, yeah, he hasn't dropped a single set uh, at this event. It's been quite quite straightforward for him uh, coming through against, you know, Giron, Hijikata, Nuno Borges uh, to clinch this title finally after all of the delays. Uh, Joel, any thoughts on on the week for for Fritz at the uh, Delray Beach event? Yeah, I think, I mean, he's just building on a a very decent start to the season. I mean, he got to the quarterfinals in the Australian Open. First event after that, now champion in, in Delray Beach. I think this will be very comfortable and very um, you know, familiar to him in terms of his surroundings on an American hardcore and you know, picking up a very decent win against Tommy Paul, who's been in some very good form over the last two weeks, has made two finals, won a title last week. And um, yeah, it just shows, I think, with Fritz that he is playing some very good tennis at the moment, probably in a similar vein to, I think, Alex Dumanor. And um, you know, he'll be looking to kind of kick on from this and uh you know maybe go maybe you know make the most of it and see how far you can go up the rankings because you say he's he's built he's building on a decent start to the season and i'm kind of curious to know where it might take him well final result from the week that's gone uh just the british news in the delray beach doubles final julian cash uh, of great britain with his american partner robert galloway won the doubles event um beating in the final neil skupski fellow brit and his partner, Santiago Gonzalez. So um, that's Julian Cash and Robert Gallery's first ATP title together as a pair. And yeah, Julian Cash, don't normally see him picking up titles on the ATP tour uh, in the doubles. Or, you know. So well done him. Um, but let's take a very quick break now. Uh, we'll be back in the second half to look at whether single-handed backhands are disappearing from the men's game. Should the Australian Open switch the ladies' final to a Sunday? And we'll also be looking at all the tennis to come this week, including Dubai, Rio and Doha. So do not go anywhere. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. 
And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Now we're going to move on to a bit of a par for the courts, uh, back and forth, I think. Joel, you've got one designed for me and Chris this week. I have stored this up ever since the Australian Open, so I've been very excited to let this this loose. Exactly, exactly that. It might not be completely relevant at this moment, but we're going to do it. (laughs) It might not be. And I can't give you more context because it probably gives some obvious answers away. So Ooh. I'm just going to get straight into it's it. It's like a mysterious because... path of the court, yeah. not a mysterious player. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about the fact that it, we talk about it all the time. Um, you know, one slam wanders on the on the women's circuit. This is a very, 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 very popular topic, I think, on the Tennis Weekly podcast. So naturally, I'm going to ask you to name in this edition of Path of the Courts, one slam wanders in the open era on the male side. And there are 27 in total. Oh my goodness. And there's 11 since the year 2000. So there are some some good names in there that you and probably our listeners will be very familiar with. Some maybe unfamiliar names. But yeah, I'm looking for male one slam wonders in the open era. Oh gosh. Okay. Not sure my knowledge of one slam wonders from the eighties is gonna be very good, but <laughs> I'm just we'll I'm just gonna go for the easy ones, Kim, today. It's one of those days. It's Okay. Let's do this. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Why not? Okay. Wait, Gentleman first. I mean I should I should have, I should have offered, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh don't worry, you go first. It gives me more time to think. Well, I mean this could be very embarrassing, but I think this is right. And we just talked about him. I'm gonna go for Juan Carlos Ferrero. That is correct. Yes, two thousand and three. Suddenly thought French has he won Open. twice. <laughs> uh, Marin Cilic. Correct. Yes, twenty fourteen U.S. Open. I mean, I've got to go for Dominic Team then. That is a correct answer. U.S. Open in twenty twenty. Juan Martín Del Potro. Another winner at the US Open, that is correct, 2009. We may as well just complete the set with Andy Roddick then. Correct, yes. Daniel Medvedev. Very good, Kim, yes. 2021 US Open. Equal scores at the moment. Gets a little bit tougher now. Um, Mm. I'm going to go for someone who has talked about a lot. I think... uh, Thomas Johansson, I'm going to say. That is a correct answer. Yes, 2002 Australian Open. Uh, I'll say the most recent one, Yannick Sinner. I was I was waiting for someone to that? say that. <laughs> uh, yes, Yannick Sinner is a correct answer. 2024 Australian Open. I thought it was an unspoken rule, Kim. You know, we were just going to leave that one. Oh, the one <laughs> I was like was wondering Sinner. when is, did they did they say this? And I forget that. But yeah, Yannick Sinner is on the list. Maybe we both thought that we'd said it. Um, I I think going this some, is under pressure here. Someone I think, from Kim. Wimbledon. I'm going to go for Richard Krychek. 
Correct. That is a very good I answer. I don't know why from, I said that. From I the gone, 90s. I should have gone for the more obvious one. <laughs> 1996, yes, Wimbledon. Goran even is of it. That's what I should have gone for. I was, was expecting you to go for Chris, but that is correct. Yes, Kim. 2001 Wimbledon. I still haven't gotten over him beating Tim Henman in that semi-final, but yes. Oof, this gets tricky now. I, d- I don't think they won another one, so I'm going to say Carlos Moya. That is a correct answer. Yes, 1998 <laughs> French Open. So oh, I keep forgetting who won this title because it was not the person that I think was the favourite going into it. But I think Gaston Gaudio, he won the French Open before Rafa. Oh, Kim. That is a cracking answer. Yes. Gaston Gaudio. Against Correa, yeah. Very good. 2004 2004 French Open. I think Correa also beat Tim Henman in the semi-finals as well. I think he did. To get there. Poor Um, poor everyone. There is one player. There is one more player. One male uh, slam wonder post-2000 that no one has got, which you were doing very, very well on that front. Post-2000. Goodness. Blimey. But there is also a lot of names from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, okay. So might, might come what back to this knowledge. What happened before Roger Federer? I'm trying to think of if the 2000s. I can't think of anybody. Must be someone recent. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for Michael Chang. Very good. Correct answer. 1989 French Open. Kim... The pressure is on you. So many of these. I I think a 50-50 <laughs> whether they've won one or two. I wonder if that other one post-2000 is, is also at the French Open, but I just can't think of... If hmm. it's a Spaniard, you know. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking Wimbledon before Federer. Um, I'm going to go for Michael Stieck. Michael Stieck. Is a correct answer. Oh, yes. Kim, Wimbledon, 1991. This is tense. This is getting tense. This is a good, good game. Still equal. And um, still quite a few answers left on the board. I think I've got two potentials. Uh, I'm going to say the legend, uh, the most streamed man in tennis. I'm going to say the Yannick Noah. That is a very good guess, and it's a very good answer because it's a correct answer. 1983, Roland Garros. Um, Kim, you need this to draw level with Chris. I think she's got it. She's looking No, confident. I mean, the only other players I think have won multiple. Um, I'm just b- bemused about this recent 2000 person. Um, we do very badly at recent tennis. We could talk about them on the pod and we forget them. Kim, I'm going to have to pressure you oh, for an answer. Any clues? Like no, any slams? I can't or national give you any clues. What about that Italian? What Italian? <laughs> Didn't another Kim? Italian win a slam? Oh, Ilina Nastasi. There we go. That's Italian. not right. Famous Italian. <laughs> yeah. Ilina Nastasi. Is an incorrect answer, oh, Kim. Kim. I think no. Kim just not gave correct. up on that one. I was Got thinking too Mark long. Philippoussis, but he got to a final, didn't he? But he didn't win. Yeah. Not he Mark Philippoussis. Any, any other guesses? Any other answers? I had Peter Corder. Peter Corder, yep. Very good. Oh. 1998 oh. Australian Open. That was a backup. And then my fu- the only other one I had was Pat Cash, which I'm very not, good. Oh, not very sure. Very good. Yep. Pat yeah. Cash on the list. 1987 Wimbledon. Who, who won in the... That 2000s. Well, I'm going to get to that in a sec. I'm just okay, going to go sorry. through some of the answers just you didn't give order. me. Yeah. Yes, from the from the 70s. You could have had and- Andres Gimeno. Um, I think I'm... Hopefully I'm saying that right. 1972 French Open. Manuel Orantes, 1975 oh, oh. Joel, you US that. Open. That, you were born then, weren't you? Oh, of you? course. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Mark Edmondson, 1976 Australian Open. You're just saying names. Adriano Panatta. That's the one, the Italian. Oh, yeah, they yes. named the court after him. Roscoe Tanner, Vitas Gerolitis. Oh, maybe that's who I meant when I said Gerolitis. Sounds like <laughs> a disease. Brian Teacher, 1980 <laughs> Australian Open. Not not too familiar with me. It may, might be familiar with our listeners. Um, yes, Yannick Noah, Pat Cash, 
Andres Gomez, 1990 French Open. Um, Michael Stick, uh, a name you didn't get, Thomas Muster. Oh. French Open, 1995. Uh, and then, yeah, you said, all, you said all the others apart from one name. Richard Krychek, Petr Korda, Carlos Moyer, Goran Ivanisevic, Thomas Johansson, Juan Carlos Ferrero, Andy Roddick, Gaston Gaudio, Juan Martin Del Potro, Marin Cilic, Dominic Team, Daniel Medvedev, Yannick Sinner, and the player you did not mention, 2002 French Open champion. Oh, was it the um, other Johansson or no? No, um, Albert uh, Costa. Oh, Alberto Costa. Albert Sorry, Costa Albert was Costa. the name I was wondering if. Is it you. Albert or Alberto? I think it is actually just Albert. But is it I've Albert? Got Albert yeah. Co- I got Albert Costa written down. So uh, yes, like I it. don't know. That was tough. But very good, very good path of the court, Sarah. I thought that, that was, was very good. That Thanks, was very Joel. competitive. <laughs> Let's have a look. Well, I mean, listeners, let us know how you did because did you get Costa? And do you know who Brian didn't. Teacher is? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna know after this episode. Gonna go look him up. Uh, Tracy has got in touch with us on Twitter uh, for our mailbag this week. Tracy, thanks very much for getting in touch. Um, I will just read out what Tracy's asked us. Hi, Tennis Weekly. With Stefanos Sitspas now out of the top ten, it means there are no single-handed backhands at the very top of the men's game. Why do you think that this is? So Tracy's gone technical. Um, but yeah, it is true. There is, there is a very good graph um, that does demonstrate the decline of single-handed backhands over the years from, well, throughout the oh. open era, really. And we do have zero in the top 10 at the moment on the men's side. Um, so, Chris, let's come mm. to you first. Why do you think this is? Do you miss the single-handed backhand? That's a steady decline. I, I, I do miss it, but at the same time, from a technical perspective... I do think that it makes sense that it is in decline because when you see just how big these rackets are, just how much power and topspin you can get on the ball, it does leave that single-handed backhand very much exposed. And I think that's probably the biggest reason because you can't get the same amount of topspin and it's very hard to deal with the topspin in the same way. So we've seen this recently with like Sitsipas on the return. Um, He has to chip it back quite often because it's very hard when it bounces high to deal with it. And the classic one that we've seen this time and time again was that that backhand was targeted relentlessly by Nadal, especially in some of their early clashes. And that actually led to the forehand breaking down at times. But the backhand, the height of the ball you can get, especially on clay, does cause a lot of problems there. So I think it's a shot which does lend itself to the highlights reel. But at the same time, I do think that despite the fact you can do more with the ball with a single hander, you are also under a lot more pressure with it. Yeah, it feels like we're we're now in an era where power is more important than ever. Speed is more important than ever. Weight of shot is more important than ever. And that just does not lend itself, I think, to having a single-handed backhand. I am maybe a little bit surprised, I think, given, as I say, I feel like there's a lasting legacy of, you know, the single-handed backhands of, like, Roger Federer. I see Richard Gasquet and, and, you know, Dominic Thiem as well, uh, Stan Wawrinka. And I do wonder, you know, kids watching those, some of them got to be inspired to be like, right, I'm going to have a single-handed backhand because when they are in full flight, they look, you know, they look majestic and they do look beautiful. Um, but on a Massetti, practice, we've got Massetti, Joel. We've got Massetti, yeah. And I mean, we, we did have, or maybe we might have in the future, Denis Shapovalov as well, who's, you know, mm-hmm. was maybe talked about as, as getting into the, the, you know, the, the top 10. But um, yeah, I just think from a kind of practical point of view, the way the game has gone, it's just not a, conductive environment to have a single-handed backhand in and I think Sissipas is probably the most obvious example of that because we just you just feel like whenever he has a, a matchup against a very you know top player they're just going to pepper his backhand side and inevitably at some point it's going to break down yeah well it's the first time in ATP rankings history that there isn't one but like you said uh, I'm sure it will only be a matter of time that we might get another one entering the top 10 but just yeah just very much the minority Dimitrov might be days. back very soon yeah yeah the way he's going um let's have a look at the other thing that broke this week was that the australian open are considering switching the women's final to a sunday from 2026 possibly um so they'd be doing a switcheroo of the women's and men's final uh to having the men on the saturday and the women on the sunday um i think they've kind of sort of said that the rationale for this is that the men's final obviously went super late uh people kind of had to work the next day so it kind of 
you know, not as many people got to watch the finale of, of Sinner coming back against Medvedev. Um, so by switching it around, you know, best of both worlds, everyone gets to watch everything um, in a general sense, of course. What do you make of this? Is, is that, are they doing this for the right reason? Yeah, I, that's the thing I have. I think it makes, I mean, it makes sense from a TV ratings point of view, but and I, and I've, I, I, if it does happen, I almost feel like just come out and say that as opposed to kind of maybe dressing it up as equality and want to actually we want to make the women's match the main event. Because I think if you come out like that, I think, you know, hearing kind of the stuff around the TV ratings, it's a little bit kind of like, is it is it really or is it just kind of like you just want to maximize your audience um, as much as possible? Yeah, I I think I agree with that in terms of. If it is just because, you know, it runs shorter, that's not exactly a great advertisement for women's tennis, is it? Let's put it on a Sunday because people shut off earlier because they got work the next day. Exactly. And that does kind of make you a bit concerned that the tournament will almost start packing up on a Saturday and maybe the women's final won't get the attention that it deserves. I'm not saying Mm, it's the warm-up act for the men's final, but it is still very much when the tournament has all eyes on it. Um, And you wouldn't want that to be at the detriment of the kind of faux equality in this sense that women wouldn't get the same platform um, or the same spotlight that they have done previously. I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's more interesting if you swap it for a night match and you see what happens there um, as opposed to, you know, having it in this way where we're kind of pretending that this isn't just because the Australian Open has a scheduling issue. Mm, no, I agree. And, and let's have a look. Uh, well, we'll have to see if they do do that or not. At the moment, it's kind of just rumoured, so it's not definite. Um, let's have a look at what's happening this week. We are out in the Middle East in Dubai for the WTA 1000 event there. So Shviante will be looking to to do a double uh, in the Middle East with uh, cl- claiming another title there. What we do also have Sabalenka, the Australian Open champion, back in action um, that has already got underway. Sadly, we have seen, I think, Paula Badosa uh, retire Retired from her match. Again. Um, it was so sad. Did you see the Instagram story post she put up? It was um, she put up before the match, and then yeah, she had to retire after the first set in her first. Yeah, not not great injury situation there at the moment. And uh, Kudometova and Yastremska having a very odd scoreline today. Six Chris, love, you were salivating. Six, six you were salivating at it. this result. I honestly love these sorts of results because um, I can actually give you a, an interesting sort of um, highlight. Well, interesting to some people maybe, but um, the match was six love, one six, six love. And it's the first time that only six games have been dropped in a main draw at a WTA match since... Kudometova in Beijing against <laughs> Serenko. So she's got a habit of it. If she's going to, she's on or she's off, put it that way. Bagel, breadstick, bagel. I love it. <laughs> and we'll have to see if Shriontek uh, will be opening her bakery. This Not against week. Sloan, please, no. Uh, uh, we do also have the ATP 500 out in Rio. Carlos Alcaraz will be hoping he goes a bit better there than he did in Buenos Aires. Uh, Caminori in action as well. Uh, so this was the title that he, he won last year, wasn't it, Nori? So be hoping for, for better this week. And we also have Doha, which is an ATP 250. Rafa is not playing. We had previously heard he might be coming back, but he's not. Um, he's still at home in Mallorca. Uh, but Andre Rublev is the top seed there with Hatchinov, the second seed. Ugo Amber is the third seed. Maybe he'll, maybe, uh, you know, he won a title last week, didn't he? So Kim, it's now or never. Andy Murray in this draw. He has a qualifier in the first round. Alexandra Muller. He's got an incredible record against Frenchmen. So it's it's got to happen. It's got to happen. I'm praying. I'm hoping. I've got everything crossed. Yeah, we hope he has a better result this week. So it's not been great, has it, for, for Andy recently. And uh, finally, Los Cabos, uh, also an ATP 250 out in Mexico. Zverev is top seeding there with Sitsipas, Rude and Alex de Menor in attendance. So uh, Jack Draper. Jack Draper also in action. The power Draper. Uh, up against Kokinakis <laughs> first round. That could be quite an interesting mm. opener. Yeah, could also face Evans in, in round two. So we'll see Yeah, see how that goes. But um, yeah, very, very interesting stuff there. Uh, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly Podcast. A quick reminder, thank you to everyone who has filled in the Tennis Weekly survey over the last week or so. We've really enjoyed reading some of the comments and getting some of the learnings. The survey is still open. 
The link is in the description. So if you would like to help us improve the show, make sure to fill out the Tennis Weekly survey. It literally takes about three minutes. It doesn't require any sort of sign up, but it will be very, very helpful to us. So if you can do that, please do do that. But we're going to end it there. As I said, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Massive shout out as well to Alina for going out to the Golden Swing at the Buenos Aires event and reporting back for us on Charlie Alcaraz and all things uh, Buenos Aires. But listeners, remember to subscribe to us. Stay up to date on all the action from the ATP and WTA tours. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. So if you like what you're hearing, then do make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media and you can see all the action from the IEB Plus Argentina Open. You can email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and X. And the handle for our social channels is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can also purchase our lovely Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email us at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or do check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. (laughs) Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.